0: Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message.
1: All right, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse one. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, he has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape this world's corruption caused by human desires. Verse five, in view of all of this, let us make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and with self-control, patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with a love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind forgetting that they've already been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into his eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray with me now all over this place. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the power of your word and of the simple gospel. I ask that right now, you would make ready the hearts of men to receive the word of truth. I ask that you'd be strong in my weakness, remove every distraction from our life. Right now, we actively set aside all cares, worries, and anxieties to focus solely on you and today we refuse to go through the motions of our faith, but we lean in with a hopeful expectation that you're gonna transform our lives. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. <clears throat> so little context here, um, big surprise, Peter is the author of 2 Peter, all right? <clears throat> he is continuing from the book of 1 Peter where he wrote to Jewish and Gentile believers that had been scattered throughout Asia Minor. They were about to face severe persecution for their faith. And he wrote to them, not consoling them about the sufferings that were to come, but instead he urged them to continue to live a holy life in a hostile world, continue to be steadfast and stable, be a light in the midst of darkness. He writes to that same audience again, only this time he writes with a different purpose. Now he is writing to warn them against false teachers and false doctrine, heretical teaching that had crept its way into the New Testament church. How many of y'all know false teaching is nothing new? The majority of the New Testament epistles are warning the church to cling to the truth and the simple gospel which leads to salvation. Jesus warned that many will come in my name, but they lead many astray. Peter recognized that the greatest way to safeguard early believers against heresy is for them to be so familiar with the truth that they can detect a lie a million miles away. So over the next three chapters, he's gonna to continue to reiterate the simple truths of the precious gospel. So over the next few moments, we're gonna extract powerful points out of the text that I just read. And the first one is simply this, stay humble. Tell your neighbor with some attitude, say, stay humble. (laughs) Mm, Stay humble. In verse one, he says, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we should pay very close attention to the titles and the order in which he introduces himself. First of all, he uses his original name, Simon. How many of you guys remember when Jesus first called Peter into the ministry? If you don't remember, the very first time Jesus interacted with Peter, he changed his name. The first time he's like, oh yeah, okay, you're Simon. Okay, well, from now on, you're Peter. (laughs) <laughs> how many of you know, it's a little bit of rude of Jesus to change the guy's name the very first time they meet, right? But when you're the creator of heaven and earth, you do whatever you want to do, all right? So, but Jesus was doing more than just changing his name. He was giving him purpose, direction, and commissioning him, changing the trajectory of his entire life, all right? But I find it very powerful that Peter, in this letter goes back and reminds us that I'm Simon Peter. Cause he's showing us even in the later years of his ministry, he had not forgotten where he came from. And I pray that this morning that we don't forget where we came from. And we never forget just how lost we were and just how far he reached to save and redeem us. And I can't help but love the humility that Peter uses as he says, I'm Simon Peter. What he's really saying that transcends time is he's saying everything that I am today or ever hope and aspire to be is all by the glory and the power of Jesus Christ. I am who I am today by the grace of God. There's humility here and he remembers where he started. I pray that none of us become so religious that we forget just how powerful the gospel is and just how much the Lord did to redeem us. Next, he says, I'm a bond servant, I'm a slave. Oh yeah, and I'm also an apostle. If anybody could flaunt a title or a position, it was Peter. I mean, hey, the Catholics, just between you and me, the Catholics call him the first pope. He could have said, I am the pope, I am the archbishop, the third cardinal. You know what I mean? He said whatever he wanted to. But instead he says, I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus. Oh yeah, and I'm also an apostle. You know how we should apply this to our life? No matter what position we hold, no matter what title we ascribe to, no matter how many initials come after our name, may we always first and foremost be a servant of the Most High God. See, before I'm a lead pastor, I'm a servant of the most high God. Before you're a doctor, a lawyer, a PhD, no first, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the highest honor and the greatest title I could ever esteem. Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, Jesus. Then he goes on to say to his audience, he says, we share in this precious faith. Everybody say, precious faith. I pray that we never become numb to frequency and forget just how precious our faith really is. This morning, don't take the gospel for granted. Don't take the word and the New Testament church for granted. No, today we stand on the foundations laid by martyrs, people who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. We're here today because of a precious cross on Calvary. We're here because precious blood was shed for our redemption. We're here today because the precious Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the world. This faith is precious. Come on, somebody, if you believe it today. And may we always and forever stand in awe of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May it never lose its power in our eyes. Also in verse 1, I love it. He calls Jesus my God and my savior. Woo! It's powerful. He didn't say Jesus is another good guy. He's another good prophet or teacher. You know, you should check out his podcast. No, he says to the audience, I'm an eyewitness. For three years, I walked with him, I talked with him. I saw every aspect of his life. I saw him die, and on the third day, triumph over death, hell, and the grave. And I'm here to tell you, that man is more than a prophet. That's God, that's Messiah. He is the savior of the world. Half of a golf clap, but I'll tell you what, it's right. The, the people golf clap and they write. He's God and Savior. That was verse one. All right, so uh, verse two, don't worry, I've already preached the sermon twice. I know we got time, okay? Uh, Verse two, look at this. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. I wanna ask you this question. Do you know about God or do you know God? I'm gonna say it again for the people in the back. I wanna ask you this morning, do you know about God or do you actually know him? Because there's a big difference between intellectually understanding facts and principles about Christ. And there's a huge chasm between knowing about him and actually knowing him. Listen, Are anybody sports fans in here? Like two people? No, we gotta disciple this church. We gotta disciple. We We gotta make disciples in here. We gotta step it up, okay? But listen, have you ever met somebody that like fangirls over an athlete? And they're like, they know every stat. They know their star rating as they were ranked coming out of high school. They know like their yards per catch and everything. Okay, and they know so much about them, they almost feel like they know them. You might know about them. You don't know him. Tell your neighbor, say, you don't know him. (laughs) See, knowing about somebody doesn't mean you actually know him. And so I want to caution you like Peter was cautioning this early church. It's one thing to know about him. Oh, you can quote the scriptures. Oh, you know his Jewish names. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my, but you know Jehovah, you know all the names. But I want to know, do you know him? Because there's a big difference. And I want you to feel the weight of why Peter is saying this. Because these people that were reading this letter were about to face the fiercest persecution planet Earth had ever seen under the hand of a demon-possessed emperor named Nero. And it was about to separate the wheat from the chaff, the real thing from the pretenders. And it's no longer okay to just play church and go through the motions and know about him because if that's your posture, when difficulty comes, the enemy will sift you like wheat. But the real remnant, the real bride, the real church, we know more than just about him. No, we know him. This is personal. So you got to make it personal today. Now, listen, it's one thing to know about him intellectually, but until that knowledge finds its way into your heart, it will never change you. You can, I don't, you can sit in this church five times a Sunday. You could hear the sermon five times. But until it hits your heart and changes your life and changes your perspective and the way you treat people, the way you love people, the way you forgive people, until it goes from your head to your heart, it's in vain. There's got to come a moment where this affects our heart and the way we live. I want to read to you um, something from Matthew 25, 24. And if you're slow turning, just look on the screen. But I want to reiterate verse two again. It says, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. This is profound. And I pray that you receive it. The scripture is saying that the more you know him, not just about him, the more you know God, the more you discover his grace, and the more you understand his grace, then your soul is flooded with peace. If you need peace today, it's not found in alcohol, it's not found in prescription abuse, it's not found in another relationship. Peace is not a feeling, it's a person, and it comes from a relationship with God. But I want you to watch this. As we grow in our knowledge of him, the older translations say grace and peace will be multiplied in our life. Oh, that's good. It'll multiply. See, let me read to you Matthew 25, 24, and show you this. This is the parable of the three servants with the talents, okay? Listen to this. <clears throat> the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you to be a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. But look, here's your money back. What did the master say to the servant? He said, you wicked servant. Why was the servant wicked? Because he thought he knew the master, but his perspective of the master was that he was harsh and cruel and unjust. If we're being honest, before I gave my life to Christ and even as an early Christian, sadly, my perspective of God was much like this. I thought God was angry or looking for all of my sins, looking for all my problems and ready to judge me immediately I I was afraid of God, not in a healthy way, but in an unhealthy way. But the more I know him, the more his grace is multiplied in my life. See, I used to think he was a harsh master, but the more I study his word and draw near to him, the more I realize his word says, my mercy triumphs over judgment. And where sin abounds, my grace much more. The word of God continuously declares that while we were dead in sin, lost in our trespasses, he was rich in mercy. The more you know him, the more you know his grace. Can I get a witness today of somebody who's, who's realized he's not a harsh master, he's a good father. And yes, there is a wrath to God, but that is towards his enemies. But to all who have received Jesus, you have been called the sons of God. You're no longer his enemy. You're his sons. And towards you, there is grace and there is mercy. In fact, the more you know him, the more you realize that it's his kindness that draws us to repentance. The more I know him, the more I see his grace and I realize he's the God who forgives 70 times seven and his mercy still new every morning. And when I know him and understand his grace, the result is then peace multiplies and floods my soul. Am I speaking English? You with me today? You believe it? You got to know him. If, if you still think God is angry and you still think God is looking to condemn you for every mistake and every problem, I just want to invite you to get to know him just a little bit better and look at the word. I saw a meme the other day. You know, we're getting deep theology when we bring out the memes, <clears throat> all right? But it was like a split thing. And the only reason I didn't show it on the screen is because it's just text. So I'm going to tell you. Okay, so the top... Portion of this meme said religion, and it, in quotations it says, "I messed up, my dad is gonna kill me." The bottom half of the meme said relationship, and it said, "I messed up, I messed up, I gotta call my dad." You see the difference? You see religion? They know about him, but they still don't see him for who he is. Oh, but those who have received, those who know him have seen his grace, his mercy, is good. We know that when we sin, we don't run away from him. We run right back into his loving arms. We repent, we ask for mercy. And there he welcomes us with arms wide open. <clears throat> um, so how do we know him? How do I know an invisible God an inaudible God, how do I know him? Three ways. This is gonna sound redundant, but about the time I'm tired of saying something at Vision Church, it's about the time y'all start actually believing me. There's three ways that you have a relationship with God. Number one, it's his word. When you can't hear God, read God. I was talking to somebody just Friday night. and They're like, you know what? I just can't hear from God. I said, well, okay, what do you, like, have you read the Bible? Well, yeah, but I'm trying to hear God. I said, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word. <laughs> you trying to hear God, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, no, he's spoken, his word reveals his character, his person, his attributes, that's how we know him. Number two is through prayer, prayer and intercession. And y'all, like, first of all, prayer is a miracle, And I want you to never take for granted, just like you don't take for granted the gospel, don't take for granted prayer. Because it is by means of the cross and the blood of Jesus that now we can come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need. And the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. But prayer is not like your Christmas list where you list off the 27 things you're wanting God to do for you right now. No, it's a two-way communication where you speak and then you also listen. You know what the Bible says about hearing the voice of God? Be still and know that I am God. Jesus taught that when you pray, close yourself off from all distractions and listen to the still small voice of the father. Think about it. It Married folk in the house. Imagine just having one-sided communication with your wife or your husband. And the whole time you were just like, I need you to do this, 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 this. See next Sunday. Oh, you would be in trouble. Okay. Especially if you're a husband, you would be in trouble. Okay. You, You have to listen. People say, well, I haven't heard from God since 1983. Well, when was the last time you read the word? And when was the last time you were quiet in his presence? You know what the Bible says? If you seek him, you'll find him. Third way is through the church of Jesus Christ. i talk to people and say, well, you know, like I'm with you on the prayer and the word, but you know, I'm spiritual. I don't need to go to church. Okay. First of all, you're talking like that. I know you need to be in the church. <laughs> all right. You need to be in here. I'm spiritual. What is with that today? Everybody say I'm spiritual. What? <laughs> so, so, but first of all, the new Testament church, isn't my idea. All right. Jesus founded it. It's his vision, his plan, because God uses people to minister to people. And how can you put the word and prayer into action if you don't have people to love, if you don't have people to forgive, if you don't have people to serve? You see, part of them getting on your nerves is God's plan because that's your opportunity to forgive. I'm preaching, preaching to you today. Verse three, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And we've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Can I tell you something? Knowing him does more than multiply grace and peace in your life. Knowing him actually sanctifies you. You know, sanctification is a theological word for separating from sin, becoming just a little bit more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. Sanctification is not sinless perfection, but it is progress. It is freedom over the life-controlling habits and addictions of this world. Jesus did not save you so you could just sit on the third row and cling on till you make it to the sweet by and by. He wants to use you right here and right now. He wants you to be a light in the darkness. He wants to sanctify you, making you more and more like him today than you were yesterday. And by the way, listen, I really feel like the church for centuries, we've missed this part right here. Because what we've done is once people repent and give their life to Christ, here's what the church has been saying for centuries. Okay, you're saved now, you're born again. Okay, now stop smoking, drinking, and sleeping around. Got that? Stop doing that. And what we've taught is behavior modification. So what we've taught new believers is, okay, well now you've been forgiven, So now you just need to quit sinning. And then what happens is, when we try to quit sinning in our own strength and in our own power, and in our own efforts, we end up looking like a hypocrite because we are powerless against sin. So then we just fake it till we make it and we never make it. And then we begin to wonder what's wrong with me. Am I really saved? Am I really changed? I'm preaching, but the gospel, has never been behavior modification. The gospel has been, you are saved, you are forgiven, now follow after Jesus. Stop focusing on not sinning and start focusing on following Jesus. Start focusing on loving Him. Let me, cause let me tell you what happens. This, the law itself provokes us to sin even more. So when we try to stop sinning, we sin again. So instead of making sin the focus, let's make Jesus the focus. And the closer we get to him, the more we become like him. And the more we become like him, the things of old begin to pass away. In Jesus, former things pass away and all things are made new. Anybody have a close friendship, like a BFF? Man, y'all got to be more friendly, man. Like the, <laughs> I know what the next series is on, friendship, all right? Join a connect group, geez, all right? But no, no, listen, if you've ever had a best friend, BF, F, whatever, okay? I'm trying to not be old. You, if you hang out with them a lot, you start talking like them. You start saying things that they say. If they're country, you start talking with a little twang, <laughs> right? Like my wife, no, I'm kidding. My wife is from Ukraine. She married a West Virginian. She starts saying some country stuff, y'all. And even she'll be like, did I just say that? I'm like, yeah, girl, you turn a country, okay? (laughs) But my point is, the closer you get to somebody, the more you become like them. And you start to emulate their character and their traits. That's why who you surround yourself with is very important. But spiritually, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I become like him. And though I'll never be perfect on this side of eternity, I may not be the man I want to be today. But as I look back, I'm far from who I used to be. And it's him. It's him. He's the author and the finisher. I love what it says. It says that he has given us everything we need for godly living here and now. Tell your neighbor everything you need. Some translations say that we have become partakers in his divine nature. Oh, that's that's so much stronger. We're partakers in his divine nature. Now, don't get Mormon on me. That's not saying that we're going to become gods. By the way, the West Virginia Mountaineers whooped up on BYU last night. Glory. Glory. Thank you. Put those Mormons, send them back to Utah, okay? So, sorry. Hey, they need Jesus too. Forgive me. All right. When it says you're going to be partakers of the divine nature, it doesn't mean that you're going to be God. What it means is that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is going to now reside inside of you. And his love will start to flow through you. His grace will begin to flow through you. His desires, his heart, his burden begins to flow through you. And as the Holy Spirit resides within us, we become partakers of the divine nature of God. You see, he did more than save you. If all he did was save you and say, good luck, see you on the other side, that would have been enough but he did far more than save you. He also empowered you with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead to live a life of victory and a life of peace right now. Thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers us, guides us, changes our very appetites and desires. You are no match for sin. You can't deliver you just like you can't save you. But greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And he who the son sets free is free indeed. And there is power in the cross and there's power in the Holy Spirit to deliver the addicted, to break the chains of addiction. He can set you free. He can do it. He has given you everything you need to be the person he's called you to become. Not by your power, not by your strength and your will, but by his divine power, he gives you his divine nature. Look at your neighbor and say, add to your faith. This is in verse five, verses five through seven. Just really quickly, It says, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises and supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And then it continues to list off seven virtues of a disciple, seven virtues of a spiritually mature person. But I want to talk about this, add to your faith, just really, really quickly. So I want you to understand this that we truly are called to be a light in the darkness right here and right now. In Genesis 1, the Bible says God created man in his image and his likeness. Everybody say image and likeness. likeness. You know what happened when sin crept into humanity and we fell? We remained God's image, but we were no longer his likeness. But thanks to Jesus and the cross, he is not only saving you, but he is actually reconciling humanity back into his image and his likeness. He's doing it, okay? Now I want you to hear me loud and clear. As you know him and you are in relationship with him, the fruits of the spirit will flow freely and naturally through your life as a result of your relationship with Jesus. John 15, he said, I'm the vine. My father's the vine dresser. Anyone who abides in me will be fruitful and very fruitful. What are the fruits of the spirit? Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. These things, the world can't fake it because the world doesn't have it. We get it by virtue of relationship being connected to the source. So these things begin to flow through the life of a true born again Christian. Doesn't mean you're always perfect, always loving, always kind, but now there is a supernatural connection where these things flow in your life. Anybody thankful? Okay. So the fruits flow freely, but what Peter's talking about are the virtues of a disciple. And you got to work for this. Now, don't get me twisted. We are not saved by works. Salvation is a free gift for sinners, not a reward that any man should boast. Your salvation is free. But following Jesus and growing into a mature disciple, it's going to cost you. The fruits of the Spirit, they flow freely by byproduct of relationship with God. But... Growing into a mature disciple is going to take work, effort, sacrifice, and discipline. See, a lot of Christians, we just want to stay over here on this side and just receive all of our blessing. But listen, he wants you to be a light in the darkness, he wants you to grow. He says it right here I want you to have virtue. What is virtue? It is moral excellence and the courage and the boldness to stand when everyone else is immersed in perversion. That virtue, your spiritual growth doesn't happen by default. Your spiritual maturity does not happen by accident. It happens on purpose. When you apply God's word to your life and you get serious about walking in obedience to him, Virtue is the first, is the very beginning. Then it goes from virtue to knowledge. You have to work at biblical literacy. Like, you can't just lay your head on the Bible at night and then just wake up and through osmosis, you've got it. No, no. You actually have to be disciplined. You have to read it, you have to study it. And I'm not preaching legalism, I'm not talking about your salvation, I'm talking about you being a disciple. Can I be honest with you? We're way past time where you cannot live off somebody else's faith vicariously. It's time for you to know what you believe and why you believe it. It, it can't be, well, I'm a Christian because I was born in North Carolina. I'm a Christian because my grandma, stop. My, my third cousin pastors a church. Okay, stop, but on the day of judgment, you're gonna stand alone before the Lord. So it's time to grow in our knowledge of the Lord. Why do we do school of discipleship at Vision Church? Why do we do discipleship groups? Why do we do connect groups? Is it because we're bored? Uh Uh-uh. We're trying to equip you to grow and mature spiritually, because then you become so much more effective as a witness. It starts with virtue. It grows to knowledge. Then it progresses to self-control. Now you have to take that biblical literacy, that knowledge, and you have to apply it to your life. And self-control is not just talking about being nice to the lady at Starbucks. Self-control here means sexual restraint. The world says, you sleep with whoever, you watch porn, you do whatever feels right. And the gospel says, oh no, you die to you. One way leads to life, one leads to destruction. Self-control, it requires effort, your participation. God's not gonna force you to be free. You gotta be a part of his deliverance, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love, and then love for all. Those are the highest, the highest virtues of a disciple are brotherly love and then a love for others. And just very fast, What he's saying is if you can't love people in this room and you can't forgive people in this room and you can't get over the problems with the people in the lobby, then how in the world are you ever gonna love the world that is lost and dying? If you only love people who love you, if you only love people who vote like you, dress like you, look like you, you're no different than the world. The highest virtue of a disciple and the highest form of love is a love for our enemies, a love for those who persecute us, a love for those who hate us. There is no greater love than this. By the way, you were Christ's enemy when he died for you on Calvary. (laughs) Thanks be to God that he was rich in mercy. Come on somebody, if you're grateful. In closing, verses 16 through 21. I'm just gonna paraphrase them for the sake of time. Peter circles back to his audience and he again reminds them that I was an eyewitness. He's saying, this is not secondhand, thirdhand information. I saw him with my own eyes. I touched him. I saw the nail pierced hands. I saw the empty tomb. I was there at his transfiguration. I was there when he was risen from the grave, I saw him. But here's what he goes on to say in these closing verses. He says, my experience is great, but the scripture is even greater than my experience. Church, I pray you feel this. He's saying, Yes, I saw him. Yes, I spoke with him. Yes, I experienced him. But you have something even greater than an experience. You have the Word of God. You might say, well, how is the Word? Wait a second. How is the Word greater than Peter's experience? Because through the ancient prophets of old, Isaiah, David, Daniel, Zechariah, centuries before Christ, they wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with meticulous precision, Messianic prophecies that Jesus would one day fulfill completely. Historians have noted over 330 prophecies, Messianic in the Old Testament have been personified and fulfilled with meticulous detail by the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord. And Peter is saying, yeah, I saw him and experienced him and that's great. But the fact that he fulfilled the prophets of old, that's an even greater miracle. And that's the greatest testament to his saving grace, his lordship, his deity, and that scripture you have today. You know, that reminds me in Luke 16, the Bible describes two souls that were, one was in hell, one was in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man in hell, he pleaded with Abraham. He said, Abraham, just, just let me go back or send somebody from the dead to warn my family, warn them of this terrible torment. Do you know what Abraham said to the rich man in hell? He said, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, In other words, if they won't believe the Scriptures, they would not believe if even the dead rose. That's how powerful the Word of God is. It is a witness, a testament. He's given us everything we need to believe. Is it enough for you? Pray with me now all over this place. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name that is above all names. And today we repent of our sin. We confess, Lord, that we have had a form of godliness. We've known about you, but we haven't known you. We haven't walked in relationship, in fellowship with you. We've loved the things created more than the creator itself and God have mercy. Forgive me, but I believe that 2,000 years ago, you sent your one and only son Born of a virgin, He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross, taking the wrath of God, my penalty, my death. He took my place on the cross, died and was buried. And on that third day, He rose from the grave. He is victorious over death, hell and the grave. And because He lives, that is my blessed assurance, my holy confidence that He can save me too. Change my heart and my life. Make me more like you in this earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,
0: amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.